0: I Talk, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis, and we're talking Ohio State's coaching staff. But before we get into what the the meat of this pod is going to be, which is going to be focused more on the offensive side and some decisions Ryan Day could potentially be making, we're going to talk about some more decisions he actually has made. We already know about Perry Eliano, Nathan, being not retained as the safeties coach. Well, I think it's about 24 or 48 hours after that. A news was announced. Ohio State has brought in another safeties coach, Matt Guerrero, who outside of spending one year as Indiana's co-defensive coordinator, has spent his entire career under Jim Knowles. So what do we make of a decision like this to bring Matt Guerrero back? So Matt Guerrero, as you said,
1: he, he came in as an analyst the first year that Knowles did. So Knowles and Ryan Day sort of collaborated on who they were bringing in with that staff, uh, his first staff. Um, But then Knowles brought in like a handful of guys, like at least two or three guys. I can't remember the exact total of guys who had been staffers with him before for jobs like this, like off field jobs. I was told that there was, I think, at least some inclination that if they'd been able to keep Gurrieri, that there might've been a, a role for him, a bigger role for him the next time an opening came up. But obviously after that one year, he had an opportunity to first he left to go with Kevin Wilson to Tulsa and then after agreeing to take that job instead went to be the co DC at Indiana. And, you know, Indiana's defense uh was, as you might expect, kind of up and down, but it looked pretty good against Ohio State in the first week of the year, which might have had something to do with the fact that Matt Guerrieri was pretty familiar with Ohio State at that point, having spent that year here. But just someone that obviously Jim Knowles has tremendous um confidence in and comfortability with and respect for and someone who's uh, football savvy and intelligence he um values. So now I think the question is that uh, that was also to some extent true of Perry Eliano, but as we talked about things weren't really done in the recruiting realm. So where what does Guerrieri do in that position that might help solve some of the deficiencies there?
0: So Andrew Matt's career he played football at Davidson. He was a defensive back there, so at least he's coaching the position that he played. And then he was GA at Lenore Ryan in 2011. And From 2012-2014, he was GA at Duke under Jim Knowles. And then he stayed there and became their safeties coach in 2015 and then moved all the way up to co-defensive coordinator before coming to Ohio State in 2022 with Jim Knowles. So he didn't go with Jim Knowles to Oklahoma State, but he did follow him here, which makes me feel like he's almost – he's Jim Knowles' very own Keenan Bailey almost. And that like Jim knows clearly has a connection with this guy, but if he's not a proven recruiter and we keep talking about the problem with the safeties, wasn't the on-field production, it was the recruiting and what might be coming down the line here. So I guess from that standpoint, I'm trying to understand why this is an upgrade.
2: I don't know if I can, you know, give the full sales pitch of why it's an upgrade. I think there is something to be said for that familiarity. Um, You know, there is something to be said for, um, you know, what you can do when you have worked with a guy for that long. I think that there's a balance between wanting to have a mix of guys on your staff that you know, that you trust that you're on the same page with and guys that you haven't worked with and guys that can bring some new ideas to the table. Um, So I, I think obviously this falls under the former one, but, I mean, he's a young guy. He's 34 years old. And if you have the trust of Jim Knowles, I mean, I, I think that that should kind of go a long ways in kind of giving you comfort as to kind of what he could be. And, and you know, younger people kind of tend to do well on their recruiting trail. Um, you know, that's a that's a spot certainly we've talked about with Ohio State safety recruiting where it feels like they've been second a lot. You know, you've mentioned this, Stephen, with, you know, you cover that recruitment with Caleb Downs and with KJ Bolden, and it feels like their their safety recruiting has not been at the level that it needs to be. There's a guy, you know, in the 2025 class, Fahim Delane, that Ohio State's really interested in. He's had a good council in Maryland. He's a five-star safety. Like, those are the guys that Ohio State wants to close on, and by bringing in Guerrero, like, that's somebody that you would want to say, you know what, he can give us that little extra, right? I think it might not have to be a big upgrade for there to be a benefit in recruiting, but if there's a sm- even a small upgrade, I think you get that benefit in recruiting, and that's going to translate on the field.
1: There's another factor here too. Uh, in the in the announcement that Ohio State put out, they said it said uh, that there will be other duties as assigned or something like that. It's not a common thing that you necessarily see with uh, when a position coach is hired. And I was told that that may refer to him taking over special teams. So mm-hmm. that's still to be decided or still to be formalized. I think, because again, we've as as we're about to talk about in the next segments, uh, there's a lot of stuff that could still happen on the offensive side of the ball that I think they're trying to keep their options open as far as how they use their their staff positions. But if that's the case, then that's not. That's also a situation where. I mean, he's been a coordinator, he has been he was a co-defensive coordinator at Duke, he was co-defensive coordinator at Indiana, was going to be hired to be the defensive coordinator at Tulsa, so he does have some experience at that more, for lack of a better term, executive level, and uh, more than just middle management, like upper middle management, if you're going to call the assistants mm-hmm. middle management, um, he does have that level of experience, so that factors in here too, but that, that that doesn't necessarily answer the recruiting thing, and I think that is, I feel the same way about this that I would have felt about when Tim Walton came in in 2022, uh, two, when um, Justin Fry was coming in in 2022. Like one of the reasons you're being hired is because cornerback recruiting has dipped and we're seeing the result on the field. We haven't seen a result on the field yet for safeties, but we think it might be coming. They got some really good news, obviously with ransom coming back and they've got some young guys who are entering their third year uh, and they could get Hancock back. That hasn't been announced yet, but it's coming. So, like, what can you do between now and the start of of the 2025 season that adds something more promising talent-wise to this roster?
0: This is going to be an interesting and pretty prominent cycle, this 2025 class for Ohio State's recruiting. I mean, you're seeing the defensive side – already take the lead in a way we haven't necessarily seen Andrew from Ohio State the Ryan Day era getting Devin Sanchez to hear math that's coming along board there and and Blake would be. And there's some safeties out there as well. Obviously, Dorian Brew gets brought up in that conversation. But when you look at every other, all the other pieces right now, defensive line, we'll see with linebacker, but it seems like the defensive recruiting is coming together. Now there's this big question mark. At safety, because you got rid of your assistant coach who maybe wasn't getting the job done, and now you're bringing in an assistant coach who maybe hasn't proven as much either. How big of a deal is it that Matt Carrary maybe makes some waves on the recruiting trail very quickly here in the next six or seven months?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, everybody else is kind of pulling their weight, right? You know, Zahir Mathis, you know, he committed on Wednesday. Uh, he's the four star player, number 37 overall in the class. Really, really intriguing defensive line prospect borderline five star defensive end that Ohio State's bringing in. They've already brought in a five star corner. They have another top 100 four star corner in Blake Woodby. Dorian Brew is a five star corner. He's making his announcement soon. That looks like, you know, it's trending well for Ohio State. So it's like you go, you go down the line and it's like, all right. You got a top 40 offensive or defensive lineman. You got the the cornerback room is just disgusting. And, you know, I, I we'll see where where they go with linebacker, but Safety is really the one where you're like, whoa, like they get they get safety, and, and now you're cooking with gas. And, and there's a couple of guys, uh, you know, Jaden Hudson out of California. Um, I mentioned Delane. Um, uh, I'm trying to think, Messiah Delome. He's out of Virginia. Like there's there's a couple of guys that Ohio State's interested in. And like, if you can bring in some of those guys to kind of either make up the gap or be on par with where the defensive line recruiting is at, where especially where the cornerback recruiting is at, you're going to have something really special on the defensive side of the ball. And when you just, when you look at the recruiting rankings and you look at where Ohio state's class is right now in 2025, you mentioned it. It's led by the defense. How many times have, have you been able to say Ohio state's recruiting right now is led by the defense. They have a four-star quarterback, in uh, uh, Tavian St. Clair, he's on board. You have a four star receiver, Javen Boggs, who's 224, he's on board. But that's it, those are the only two guys you have on on in, in the 2025 class that are on the offensive side of the ball. So, if you can get that safety recruiting kind of bumped up just a little bit, you know, if you cannot come in second for some of these guys, or if you can land a few more of these, even 150 type players, 200 type players the room is going to look a lot different in a year or two. And the defense, the the dip that you might fear that's coming in 2025 and beyond that might be overstated.
1: Yeah. And I think the 2025 is, is interesting because you got Malik Hartford, you know, he's legit mm-hmm. after what you saw as a first. So, you know, he's going to be here for at least two more seasons. You know, he's here 24, 25. Sonny styles is coming into his third year, but he also came here young. I don't know that there's like a great urgency that he probably has that he needs to jump after this next year. And we also don't know whether he's even going to be a safety at that point. So he's probably not worth maybe even mentioning in this category, but it's like they have guys at least Hartford there to kind of anchor things. It's just that after that, it just leaves you no leeway right now. And they don't even have a lot of leeway for 24, even with ransom coming back. Like there could be like there, there may be just not not nothing proven, right? Like not a lot of proven depth. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's going to be that they make some kind of a, a huge splash with who they get, um, or if this is a thing where you just have to really be monitoring the transfer portal. And if the right guy comes available, you have to get him between now and, and the start of next uh, start of twenty twenty five. Because as it just stands right now, it's it's um, there's there's not a lot there um, because they're just going to be losing so much talent in the next two years next year
0: now i i will say the one benefit of the guerrero hire in terms of familiarity especially since he was only gone for 10 months is a lot of the targets that ohio state had in that 25 class a year ago still exist when he was still here so it's it's almost like hey i'm just back over here now while also being in charge of the room while also he's it's a safety driven defense of and the coordinator who the mastermind behind it he's worked for for a long time so it's it's not going to be a, a, a long learning process in that situation. You brought up the fact that some of his other duties potentially could be running the special teams, Nathan. That does mean Parker Fleming has officially been fired by Ryan Day. He, there is a difference between <laughs> with, in, in the semantics part of this. There's firing and then there's not being retained. Not being retained just means your contract ended and they're not renewing your contract. Getting fired means they're actually terminating a contract that is still live right now. And there's, I don't, I mean, I don't know how much more we can say about the Parker Fleming part of this, but when you add Parker Fleming's out, Matt Guareri is in, and I know people are wondering this question, so this is what I actually want to ask you: What does this mean for James Laurinaitis in 2024, and what his potential role could be on the staff?
1: So I've been trying to ascertain that because our all along we had sort of assumed that that position, those changes could just go hand in hand. Here's a situation with grad assistance. NCA passed a rule, amended a rule. Going into, I think it was about this time last year, that it used to be you can only do two years as a grad assistant. Now you can do three. I think they also changed how much you can compensate grad assistants. James Laurinaitis makes, uh, I think, around 140000 at least he did last year. So, you know, he, he's doing okay in terms of it, it's not a thing where you have to come here and eat ramen or whatever. Not that he would have to anyway. I think he did all right in that long NFL career of his. So. All of this is to say, Ohio State, I don't believe, based on the people I've talked to, does not have to promote him this year in order to keep him on staff. It can keep him on staff as a GA. The The downside of that is he can't go out and recruit. He, he's he's latched to Columbus when, he, when you do that. So there, it's just one of those things that I think there's still some moving parts. If they're bringing this offensive uh, coordinator in, who's then going to maybe make some changes on the offensive side of the ball, or at least has that freedom, I think they're waiting to see how they're going to necessarily use all of these positions. But I I do believe that special teams position will be used for someone on defense. Yes, it makes a lot of sense to just promote Laurinaitis to the linebackers coach and let him go do that. There is also some wisdom, I think, in potentially bringing in, because you've already got him They are doing all the things except the off-field recruiting, except the -the on-the-road recruiting. Does it make sense to... Bring in a successor to Larry Johnson now to help insulate against the negative recruiting that's going on. I I think that could be a good use of that position. Maybe they could use Laurenitis there. You know, your, your defensive line and linebackers coach. I don't know what his if his background lends to that. I know that there are guys who have experience with both. When Al Washington was here as a linebackers coach, he was fired and then went to Notre Dame to become the defensive line coach. Like there's guys who have done both of those things. So maybe they could find someone out there who would be assistant defensive line and linebackers coach. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of speculating right now, but I think that that potential is still out there that they would use that position that way with still the intent of eventually promoting Laurinaitis. It's just that it, it deprives you of, of a year of having him out on the road. But frankly, when they didn't do this, if they were going to do that, if they were going to promote him after firing, parker fleming they should have done it before right at the end of the season when they could have been out he could have been out helping recruiting when they didn't do that it did make me wonder is this in the cards for 2024 Mm -hmm. or is this something where they're going to try to get by with him as a grad assistant uh, helping the linebackers also doing you know just remote recruiting which he is involved Mm -hmm. in and has made an impact with um that's the only impact he's made as a college coach is with remote (laughs) recruiting, but he did well at Notre Dame and he's done well here from, from everything we've heard has made an impact there. So keep him in that role and use that position somewhere else on the defense, possibly as just setting yourself up for the future. I, I think that is still on the table. I'm not saying that they won't promote him because maybe they would decide at the end of the day to do that. I just think from what I've been told that there, there have been some, some different ways to look at this. And I think they're just trying to come down on the one that makes the most sense.
0: And part of that is, is the guy going to be up to doing that, right? Because that's the thing with Keenan Bailey, he, the way they moved him along, but he was yeah. always open to do that. You know, there are plenty of times over the past four or five, six years here, people tried to get Keenan Bailey. And because of how Ohio State had those conversations with him and communicated things, he was always up for it. And if it seems like James Laurinaitis is up for spending another year in a grad assistant role, which as you just said, I mean, he did pretty all right with his football career. So it's not like he's he's not climbing the, the the proverbial ladder the way other coaches are in this business. And so maybe he is a little bit more open to sticking in the background the way we saw Keenan Bailey do the way we saw Brian Hartline really do, too. until things went away and in, array in, in 2018. So that's the latest news. That's the defensive side. Once again, Ryan Day's made a couple of defensive coaching staff decisions early here in January 1st, not retaining. Perry Eliano, then hiring Matt Guerrero back, who was a a grad assistant two years ago under Jim Jim Knowles in this defense, and also letting go of Parker Fleming. We're going to take a quick break here, and then we're going to get into the other side, which is a little bit more hypothetical right now because while there are reports out there about what Ryan Day could potentially do with his offensive coaching staff, nothing has been set in stone yet, but we'll get into more of that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Hey, what's up, guys? Quick disclaimer before we get into the rest of this pod here. We actually recorded this second part before... The news about Matt Guerrero and Parker Fleming came out. So just in case any of it sounds a little dated, it shouldn't because it's mostly going to be about the offensive coaching staff and Ryan Day's plans there. But just in case we say some things on the lines of, hey, this could happen with the defensive staff or this could happen or, hey, we're still waiting on this. It happened already. It's just it didn't happen when we were recording this pod. So this is your disclaimer. Hope that's cool. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Buckeye Talks. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. This is your Thursday. As of right now, as of Wednesday at 1045, when we're recording this pod, Ryan Day has only made one staff change, and that is not retaining Perry Eliano. And there is a difference. There's a difference between firing somebody and just not renewing their contract, which is basically what sort he did. Semantic well, I mean, difference it, in some ways. Well, I mean, one requires some like HR paperwork and whatnot. The other one, the guy can just be like, okay, so long. Good luck out there in the world. And that's what happened with Perry Eliano. There's still some other ones we're at least expecting to happen, just based off of how the season has gone, and especially the last two years. But Nathan, a report came out from Football Scoop about kind of detailing what those staff changes may look like. And I think the most interesting one was how they talked about the potential offensive coordinator Ryan Day could go out there and find. We've talked about this really the last two off seasons about Ryan Day potentially giving up play calling and how big of a deal it could be. But it seems like this time around, it actually has some real legs to it outside of him just off brand mentioning it. So this has been sort of in the background of our conversations this whole
1: time as to whether he would go this route. I have been making the argument that the way that the staff was set up was sort of a hindrance to this, that you weren't going to make Brian Hartline with no play calling experience a first-time play calling coordinator at Ohio State. Like I, I, I wonder how many times in the history of the game you've seen an example of that, where somebody has no play calling experience and no... Quarterback background, I think, especially on top of that, and you make them a, a play caller for their first time as a coordinator. Like, I just, that's, I think, kind of unheard of. So, that I don't think was really ever on the table. And if you can go back to last year when they promoted Brian Hartline, I, of the people on this podcast, was the most skeptical that he would ever call a play in 2023, and it did not come to fruition. On top of that, you had a situation where you had a quarterback's coach who was so inexperienced, and also had never been a play caller, that you could not give those duties to him. And if you look across college football, you will see that those positions are often very closely tied together. It's why Ryan Day came to Ohio State, was in that position. It's why, you know, Mike Yursich, when he left Ohio State as quarterback's coach, when he was only the quarterback's coach, went to go be a quarterback's coach who called plays other places. Like, it's just a, it's a position that's very closely tied. That was also shut off to Ryan Day. So, it became very quickly that you were running out of places. Like, were you going to make Justin Fry the offensive coordinator who called plays last year at the same time that he was overseeing the semi desperate attempt to make the offensive line competent for 2024, like they or 2023, like they were really boxed in. So at some point they, in order to give up play calling was going to have to do something like this. He was going to have to, and it's, it's sort of a convenient time because if you, if, you can, Corey Dennis's contract is up at the end of this year. So if you're just making an overall change and you want to bring someone else in and add to the offensive staff, that's a place where you have a contract that's expiring and you can it gives you some flexibility in that way. But I think regardless, the point had come where he kind of had to do this. I think that his suspicions were correct when he came out of the Michigan game in 2022 that he was stretched too thin. And I think we saw evidence of that again in 2023. And I don't know that that is the reason that they lost the Michigan game, but I suspect it was a contributing factor just because of the the things that we talked about that occurred in that game that were game management decisions that he he needed more, um, a better grasp on. And I just, it's easy for us to speculate, but I, I also don't think it's outlandish to say that if you, don't have one mind in calling plays and like preparing the play that the the, the larger decisions are maybe a little bit easier to process. That's what it seems like to me. And I think to a lot of other people who, who observe this. So I'm intrigued that he's finally decided to do this. And now it's a matter of now you get to go out. And uh, if you're Ohio state and you're making this commitment, presumably you're going out and finding someone of a Jim Knowles caliber who can come in and take that sort of command with your offense. Not just in terms of someone you're handing over play calling to, but someone who now becomes the administrator for the offense. And again, based on that report and, and things that we've heard, would then have this the oversight to
0: make some decisions as to what the rest of this offensive staff looks like. So the AFCA, the American Football Coaches Association con- convention, was going on this week. It started Sunday and wrapped up on Wednesday, which is where a lot of the, how a report like this comes out when everybody's kind of in the same area. So it's you, you maybe are expecting a lot of these decisions that, at least from a public standpoint, to be coming out soon, not so f- far after this is wrapped up as all six coaches make their way back to Columbus. But Andrew, we saw Ryan Day do the. Find the gym knows of the defense. Literally, he found gymnos, And with that came our completely revamped defensive coaching staff as well, where Larry Johnson was the only one safe. In fact, the two times he has completely pressed the reset button on the defensive coaching staff, Larry Johnson has been the only one that has been safe. And in Football Scoop's report, it was said that that whoever this offensive coordinator is, is whoever this gym knows of the offense is going to be, gets to come in and evaluate everybody from top to bottom. And the only person that is safe is Brian Hartline. Is that shocking at all? Not the fact that he's the one that's safe of everybody, but just the fact that Ohio State's offense took a step back this year, but I think it's been pretty elite over the last five years that Ryan Day has been a head coach. And we've reached a point now where it feels like everybody's being evaluated and only one guy on the staff, his job is 100% safe.
2: No, I don't think so, uh, actually, at all, because there's – what what's to keep the new guy or whoever it is, like, what's to keep that person from coming in and saying, yeah, we're going to keep Tony Alford, and yeah, we're going to keep Keenan Bailey? There's there's nothing to that, right? You know, it's – there's nothing to say that you the new guy has to come in and say, you know, everybody's gone. You know, we're just – I'm sorry, guys. We're restarting. Everybody's gone except for Brian Hartline. And we're just going to restart. There's nothing stopping anybody from saying, yeah, Tony Alford's going to stay and Keenan Baylid's going to stay. We really like what these guys are doing. And we're just going to make these one or two changes. And then we're going to go into the season. No rule against that. And there's, there's nothing to say. You can't do that. So I don't don't think it's surprising because when you have this level of coordinator, like like if, if you're going to empower somebody to do this type of thing, right. You want them to have uh, as much say as possible and if they can go get a better whatever don't like don't you want them to consider that possibility right like don't you want them to do that so i don't think it's surprising that that kind of everybody's under review except for heartline because uh, heartline's kind of beyond reproach at this point i think we can all agree that just he's at a level where you would be stupid to get rid of him so that's not even withstanding and then you look at the rest of the offensive staff I, i I don't think it's crazy to to look at the staff and say we're going to evaluate everything and everything and you know it sounds cliché but it coaches say it all the time we're going to evaluate we're going to do we're going to read we're going to look back at the year we're going to do this there's nothing wrong with the new OC doing that because again it doesn't mean that Tony Alford's gone it doesn't mean that certain people are gone it doesn't mean that you know Justin Fry is going to stay or Justin Fry is going to go it it doesn't mean any of that at all It just means that they're going to evaluate.
0: Nathan, should we be on alert for an idea of what we've seen the last two times Ryan Day revamped the defensive staff where only one guy ends up making the cut? Or is that too hyperbolic, I guess, of of a way of looking at this?
1: I don't really think that this is something that Ryan Day is doing with the idea that they're just going to clean house. I do Mm -hmm. think that it does... It's it's more a way to to maneuver the right guy into place and maybe empower them to do uh, something. It's the only way you're going to probably get the caliber of coach that he would be feel comfortable turning play calling over to, frankly. And mm-hmm. so that's a thing to consider here too. Um, I would be surprised if uh, if out of their assessment they decided that. Keenan Bailey was going to be just a one- year coach here like they, they've invested mm-hmm. a lot in him and 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 brought him along to become what he is now and just getting started but they know they have designs on him really continuing to grow in this industry and, and becoming a a an important coach down the line I think they see special things in him and I would be shocked if they bailed out of that after just one year. Um, especially because he also makes some sense as the person who might take over special teams if they decide to end up making that move. So, and in someone like Tony Alford, there I think it becomes, like at what point, it, have, it's t- I think there is something to be said for having new voices. And there are some mm-hmm. voices who've been on this staff for a long time now. And that can be a positive thing, that continuity. And, you know, Tony Offord has helped develop some really good running backs here for Ezekiel Elliott and um, Trevion Henderson. And uh, there's there have been successes there, so you can't overlook that. And, you know, he has a voice in the formation of the running game and, and the, that part of the game plan and stuff. But that's the only thing I, I, I consider there. He's also someone who I think is, has made no bones about. the fact, he also wants to be a head coach and is looking for that opportunity when it comes along too. I think this is more a, a fact of um, a, a way to just get a new voice in here, and you know, imp- I think I really do think a big part of it is you're not bringing in someone. This is this is someone who would be in order to get the caliber of coach that you want to get for this position. You're probably going to have to make a concession, not a concession like this, but you're going to have to give them this sort of of power. And like when Jim Knowles Mm -hmm. came in, I don't think that Jim Knowles came in and just handpicked everybody he wanted. And I think those those decisions are made in consultation with Ryan Day. And I think that would be even more so on the offensive side. Right. So any decision of an outgoing person or an incoming person, it's not like Ryan Day is completely conceding that to them, right? Ryan Day is not, if, if somebody came in and said, well, you made me the offensive coordinator and I say Brian Hartline has to go, like that that's just not going to fly, right? Like it, it, there is going to have to, there, there's, Ryan Day is still the guy in charge here. It's just a matter of putting another level of oversight into the, the process. I think that's what this is more about. And if you want to get a Jim Knowles of the offense, which is like we've, <laughs> if you want to get a head coach of the defense of the offense, this is weird terminology that we've been spiraling towards here for a couple of years, that you're going to have to give them this sort of power. The, the names that you've heard um, rumored out there that could potentially be in line for something like this, um, we would take, they wouldn't be coming here just to call plays. I think they would be coming here to have this sort of administrative role.
0: We've got the head coach of the team in Ryan Day. We've got the head coach of the defense in Jim Knowles. Head coach of uh, personnel in Mark Pantoni, Head coach of strength and in conditioning in Mick Barati. Head coach of the media in Jerry Emick. as a head coach for everything. Head coach of the special teams in Parker Fleming. As of right now, when we're recording this on Wednesday morning. And now we're going to have a head coach of the offense because everybody's the head coach of something at Ohio State. Nathan, you've been covering college football longer than Andrew and I have. So I think I'll ask you this question, especially since you've covered it at different levels. When you are a program like Ohio State and everybody wants your players, everybody wants your coaches. What's an ideal amount of years you're expecting an assistant coach to be on the staff? I think that's a great question.
1: A lot of that, though, is tied to the continuity of your head coach, right? Like Ryan Day, the, yeah. the, the The transition from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day created some of this assistant longevity that maybe wouldn't have normally always been there. I mean, especially mm-hmm. if, you've a, if you've got a healthy program, there should be a mix of more longevity because that means you haven't had to fire somebody. When you fire somebody, you're typically mm-hmm. cleaning house, and they're bringing in their a whole new staff. And when you're when you are passing the torch, the way Ohio State did, you should have the mix that they have had. So I don't really like, and really, when you look at like the true longevity of the staff, it's like it's Larry Johnson and who's been here for a long time, and then Tony Offer, who's been here also a a, a a fairly long time. Even someone like Keenan Bailey now has been on the staff and around for a long time, even though he's only been a head coach for the the one year. I think it, or I'm sorry, he has not been the head coach. He wants to be a head coach someday, and I think he probably will be. He has been the tight ends coach for one year, the head coach of the tight ends. Um, I, I think they kind of have the right balance. I don't think it's a bad thing to have some of those longstanding veteran voices. I just think that you, and when you're hiring guys in, I think it's probably important to still get a mix of younger guys and older guys like they just did this like Tim Walton has been around a long time done a lot of things had a very extensive background and they still bring him in he's only been here a couple years but obviously a long time veteran coach but at the same time you see something in someone like Keenan Bailey that you think is special you promote them and get them a foot in the door in a in the a room like the tight ends room. I mean, there's a lot of coaches go back and look at Ryan day. He wasn't even always a quarterback's coach early in his career was doing things with like tight ends and receivers and had to like work his way into the, the path that was the best for him long-term. So I, I think it's a mix of both of those things. I don't know if that you can put an ideal number on it, but I do think it is tricky when you have had a passing of the torch and you, you bleed seamlessly seamlessly from one administration into another. So now urban and and Ryan together are like, what is this now? 14 years, something like that. And Mm -hmm. you have to then be cognizant. I think of having that right mix. I think you have to be conscious of it's not that someone's doing a bad job, but is it the right time for them and you to look at something else? And I think that applies It's why people have asked questions about the the strength program. It's why people have asked questions about other things here. It's like, do you risk a message getting stale or that there just is a different mindset when you're a person who is trying to climb and um, there's a different, there's a fire that those people have. I think you want to have that, that young up and comer fire at times, get the best of those young minds that are out there and the, the the best like long-term potential coaches, people you know may only be here for a few years because they are going to get a better opportunity. They are going to be pulled away to be a coordinator or a head coach somewhere. And then but having the veteran guys I think also is important too. And I think we saw this past year how much Ryan Day probably missed Kevin Wilson. That was a position that we almost looked at as I wouldn't say that we dismissed his influence. I think we probably understated how much Ryan Day would miss him because Wilson didn't call plays and he was the tight ends coach. But was he the tight ends coach? Like he like there were other guys helping do that, too. He was he was the veteran mind that Ryan Day could rely on uh, on a week to week basis, putting together the game plan. If the the story that Doug did where he went in that room last year, those two combined were the. Bulk of the brain trust that was putting together that game plan, and when you lost that this year, you saw what you missed, and I think that's what Day has to go get back. And in order to get that, if you're hiring someone away, um, you know Kevin Wilson came here under Urban Meyer as sort of a reclamation project after the way things ended in uh-huh. Indiana, and that's not what they're trying to hire here. I think they're trying to hire someone who is uh, it's going to be a big deal to to pull them in. And I think not that Kevin Wilson wasn't a big deal in his own way, but I think that they're that's why again why this position has been described the
2: way it has Angie? what do you think what do you have an ideal number in your head not an ideal number because i think it depends uh i think it depends on the type of guy and why they're leaving uh a guy like keenan bailey you know he's a guy who you know he's a younger guy uh, i think he only gra- he only graduated college in like 2017 2016 something like that and he's a guy who you look at it and you're like we really think highly of him he's probably gonna leave eventually or he's probably gonna get something you know better or we're gonna have to promote him eventually right like there's a Ted Lasso quote a good mentor uh, what's the quote Um, it's like a good mentor hopes you move on a great mentor knows you will it's kind of that where for some of these young guys you bring in on staff, you know, they're going to leave. And there is an element of guys leaving is just healthy, you know, because it means that you have people on staff that are desirable. Stephen, I think that that's what you were getting at when you asked that question. Like people have, you know, desires to bring in Ohio State coaches and Ohio State players. And that's a good thing, right? You know, that's a good thing when people want to to interview your cornerbacks coach, right? You know, losing losing people every year isn't always necessarily a bad thing. I think fans look at it as exclusively a bad thing because it either means you hired somebody you're not going to like and you're getting rid of them and it's a mess and somebody has to come in and clean something up or you're losing somebody to a promotion, you know, somebody Keenan Bailey for example gets a coordinator job at whatever school or you know a, a head coaching job at you know a G5 school or something like that or whatever down the line. People are going to look at that as an as a bad thing. They're going to look at that as an exclusively bad thing. And that doesn't mean a bad thing for what Ohio State's doing. So, I think it depends because there are guys like Keenan and then you have guys like Jim Knowles and Larry Johnson who are a little bit older who you can maybe make the case they're a little more settled down. You know, they've been coaching for decades. They are good with kind of where they're at. You know, they always kind of keep an eye out for something bigger. But there's not necessarily this just every year you grit you you know you grit your teeth and say, I well, don't know what's going to happen there. So it depends. Do you have a veteran staff? Do you have a younger staff? And Nathan's exactly right. You need a mix there. You need young, you need, you know, young and hungry, you need kind of old and experienced and old and veterans. And um, I, I think it, it depends. So I, I don't want to put a number on it, because um, I, I think that it could fluctuate from from year to year. And, you know, there are some years where keeping everybody's good. And there are some years where you're just gonna lose people. And, and that's just the way it is. So I, I don't really want to say that there's a number. Um, you know, in terms of what you should be shooting for, that is, or what you should be trying to avoid, if you will.
0: I don't know if I have a number either, but I feel like so a lot of this offensive coaching staff has been here too long, and and that in, I'm including to a, to a lesser extent, Keenan Bailey and Corey Dennis, but it's still kind of the sentiment is there. Both of those guys have been here since 2016. Now they've had a, evolving. Roles over time, but it's just because Dais sometimes he's and I, he got asked this question once. He was like, "No, I don't think you should have to leave to come back." I feel like if you're ready to have a job, if you're ready to take on this role after you're done doing the GA and QC stuff, then like you should. Why leave? Like why? You know? And so because of that, those guys have been here. They're coming on their ninth years here at Ohio State. Tony alford's coming into his tenth season at Ohio State. Larry Johnson, and I know we're talking offensive staff, but I'm just listening off people. Larry Johnson, he's entering his 11th year at Ohio State. Mick Moradi and Mark Pantone, I mean, they're more of the foundation of Ohio State's football program in the modern day than anybody else, even Urban Meyer. They got here with Urban Meyer in 2012. It's now 2024, and they're both still here. And at least right now, it doesn't feel like either one of those guys are going anywhere, especially Mark Pantone. I mean, they just keep giving him new responsibilities every single day as college football continues to change. And so to your point about the changing voices, Nathan, I don't know if that just worked out that way because I it's fair to say, okay, Urban Meyer retired, Ryan Day had been working with these guys and he had never been a head coach before. So he's going to keep the guys he trusts. So he just keeps the entire offensive coaching staff. That's fine. It's just it's weird to have this many guys stick around, around that long. We used to talk about Brent Venables and how long he was at Clemson, and really that whole offensive coaching staff was at Clemson, and it was good until it wasn't. And then they never really lit that fire again. And I am just wondering at some point does does the message kind of get watered down because it's not as there's no new voices, there's no fresh voices in the room. And I'm just wondering if Ryan Day is having that conversation in his head this off season of like maybe it just got stagnant maybe people have
2: figured us up. maybe we just need new guys in here for fresh ideas so i i don't know if it's fresh ideas with the players if that's what you're saying like fresh voices with the players because how many like how many players on ohio state's offensive side of the ball are here for four years not a not an over not the majority not the majority of players on the offensive side oh. of the ball I mean, I'm trying to because I'm trying to th- I'm trying to do quick math in my head because you're gonna have a, you're gonna have transfers, you're gonna have NFL guys. Yeah, but
0: like, and maybe we would have to go do that math. But I'm I I think the the bulk of their transfers in the last two years have been on defense. This is right, really the first time we've seen like a significant wave of st- transfers on the offensive side of the ball. So
2: most of these guys have been here for four years to be yeah, frank about it i and i was kind of saying that as a, as an i don't know type of way we'd like you said we'd have to go check that math the, the i think there is a there is there is a line though because right now you look at it and you say what can we fix what can we do better and you know had ohio state you know made a field goal against georgia last year I think the easy thing to tout for the company line for Ohio state would be look at this level of consistency. We have, everybody wants to be here. Everybody's doing a great job and nobody wants, to, like I think that there's kind of a little bit of, well, I think um, that's
0: my point. It's not, it, this is not, that's that's part of my point. It's not just a, Oh, Ryan day didn't fire people. Right. It's like, there's a, I mean, there's one person on your staff right now where I'm pretty sure that if you didn't re- like no one's trying to poach him from your staff. Right, I, I if we had to list off the people on the offensive coaching staff that right now, high level programs or even you know that next step down, that next tier programs down are trying to poach this assistant coach from your offensive coaching staff. What is it, two, Nathan, three, maybe?
1: I, I, to me, the thing is, I don't think it matters so much. We know that there's going to be staff changes. We know that that there are people on this staff. And we knew this before the Perry Eliana decision that Mm -hmm. we're on the staff this year. They won't be on the staff next year. It's just a matter of when they make the decision and and how they configure some of those things. To me, the bigger question is who do you then replace them with? And that's where I think Ryan day has sometimes run into some issues. And I think he has Mm -hmm. relied too much on the quality control side of things and and promoting Mm -hmm. the GAs. Now, if it works with Keenan Bailey, and and I think they talked about Keenan Bailey in a different way than they talked about even some of the other people they've promoted. But it's like worked to some degree with Corey Dennis. I don't think people necessarily think Corey Dennis has done a bad job. I think it is a question of, is that position being used in the best way to make Ohio State football as good as it could be? And I think that's a fair yeah. question to ask. And I, it has not worked with Parker Fleming. So the other two times you've done it, it hasn't worked. And then when you start talking about promoting James Laurinaitis, which we also think is potentially a foregone conclusion, well, that's a different thing. That's not just a dude who worked his way up the coaching ranks, right? I mean, he was an All-American here. He was a great NFL player. Uh, this is a
0: different animal. You know, altogether. What help, you know what helps the James Laurinaitis thing? In all seriousness, Brian Hartline and Tim Walton both also being former Ohio State players who are kicking butt right now.
1: Like, that helps. Yeah, it's not. It's not that they haven't had, you know, former players that probably haven't worked out. But yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, I, I like to make these more on an, an individual basis. But in 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 the case of these promoting from within, it's been kind of rough. And again, Brian Hartline was in that case. You're right. Like this, Idis getting promoted would be much more like when Brian Hartline was promoted. That was a little mm-hmm. bit more of like a battlefield promotion. They had to get somebody in there, but he clearly had an acumen for it that they that they recognized right away and it's grown Mm -hmm. into what it is and it's worked as better than anyone probably could have expected. So that's where I think you're not going to see happen this time around. When, when, and I I made this point in something I wrote last week for the site coming out of 21, they had to make big changes and what did they do? They went and got, you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball, you went and hired Jim Knowles. Who's like the most sought after defensive coordinator in the country that year. You went and got Tim Walton, who, in addition to being a Buckeye, had this long veteran history. He could be, he yep. had sort of a Kerry Combs-like um, presence, could have that presence in your secondary, and look at how well that's worked out in, in any number of facets, mm-hmm. both coaching and recruiting. And then you went and got Perry who, while being relatively new to the Power 5 level and it not working out completely, as we saw two years later, was still someone who was kind of one of the hot names out there, right? Like he just had that success at Cincinnati. There was a reason to think you were catching someone at the right time and could bring an important element to your team, but still a veteran guy, a guy who had really paid his dues and come up. When they've made these other promotions, it's tended to be in like um like g- the good times. Like Mike Sir- Mike Girsch leaves after 2019 and that's when you promote Corey Dennis. And Parker Fleming, I think, got maybe promoted after 2020 into 2021. Like, I feel like when it's been when the times are good, it feels like it's easier, mm. even after last season. Even after last season, it was easier to promote Keenan Bailey, but they'd been looking for a long time to get him into a, a position coach. They had almost, I think, basically promised him, like, hey, pass up these other jobs, and the first one that we can give you, we're gonna give you. So um th- there's something to be said there. Like, this is not a This is does not qualify as one of the good times years, even though I think some of the the fire and brimstone has been a little bit overstated, as we've talked about on this pod. And they've obviously made some some good acquisitions here in the last week or so that are going to put them in a good position for 24. But this is not this does not count as the good times. This counts as the times when you have to go out and make some serious hires. And that's where I think you're going to see them go where you see Ryan day go with the kind of guys he brings in at, at really every level. Now, Lauren, will be maybe the, the, the departure from that, but, but Lauren, is, isn't also someone you're saying, um, well, let's see how this works out. Like we think you're ready. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we, you know, we, we think this could work. Um, no, Lauren, is is someone who other people would hire him. Other people would hire him as their linebackers coach yesterday, if they could. So, that's he's a little bit of a different animal, but for these anybody else that any other position that's open, I think you're going to see them hire someone of
0: a, a, a fairly proven level. Let's take a break real quick because I think you just hit on something, and it's going to lead us into the other part of this conversation that's important. And that's Ryan Day's growth as a head coach. Uh, so let's let's take a break real quick. We'll be back here on Buckeye Talk after this break. Get the text six one four-three five oh three three one five as these coaches, coaching decisions are being made, as recruits are committing, as guys are transferring and going to other schools, as anything is happening in life in terms of Ohio State football. We are texting it first. Six one 2 three one five, two-week free trial, three ninety-nine after that Nathan you just said something that was really interesting and I don't think I've ever thought about it like that when Ryan Day has had to make decisions where it's like yo you need to fix this or it's like what is what are we doing here I think he's hit some home runs right I mean his first initial coaching staff is Jeff Halfley's a home run he got a head coaching job (laughs) nine months after he got the job uh bringing Kerry Combs back not so much a home run but bringing in quickly fixing that problem because the problem is that maybe he would have fixed it after 2020 had it been a normal year and not a COVID year where you only played eight games and you kind of Justin Fields, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson's your way to the national championship game. But he quickly fixed that issue, brought in Jim Knowles, brought in Tim Walton, brought in Perry Eliano, brought in Al Washington, who, at least for the first two years, was pretty quality before he actually had to start developing young players. And it, it just wasn't clicking that way. But then you bring in James it's all those decisions right there. But... In good times when he's had to make decisions, comfortable, a comfortable environment has created a, him making comfortable decisions. Promoting Corey Dennis was comfortable. Going to get Kerry Combs was comfortable. You know, going Keenan Bailey, even to some extent, even if it's probably smart comfortable, it's still comfortable. When he has had to get outside himself, I think that's when he's shown growth as a head coach. And I I think I said this on a pod last week, but I have to keep reminding himself. He's coming off his fifth year being a head coach, which means that decisions that you would probably make at the He's making he's learning to make the decisions you would usually learn at like Bowling Green or at the step at the school. Who's the tier right under? national championship or bust but he's having to make these here so it's a little bit more drastic and it's louder when he makes his mistakes versus when urban meyer was making his mistakes or nick saban or anybody else was making their mistakes but andrew i'll bring you in in on this as well what does a decision like this tell us about ryan day and his growth as a head coach and that he's clearly getting outside of his comfort zone and trying to go go find an offensive coordinator and potentially an offensive coordinator, which means that there might be some other revamps on this coaching staff where you might not be all that comfortable with some of the people on the staff because you don't know them as well as the people who are currently in your building.
2: Well, I think what I think what it would say is that you you're kind of evolving into this model that I know a lot of people cringe at but you just hear the phrase like CEO head coach like I think that that's kind of where the evolution would be because like I mean let's call it what it is this ain't college football from 25 years ago where it's just you can coach ball and then you're done like that, and, you know, Stephen and I are Mac guys. I don't know, you know, Stephen and I can talk about this. That's why people love the Mac, because it's just coach and ball. But when you get to this level, there's so much more that goes into it. There's transfer portal. There's NIL. There's high-level recruiting is just crazy. And, like, think about the way that we looked at Ryan Day on National Signing Day when Jeremiah Smith signs and – or at least commits – And he like pretends to collapse. And we kind of joke like, was he really pretending or was that kind of serious? Like there are things that you can turn your attention to now if you don't have all of these extra responsibilities. And I think that that has got to be the next evolution of you mentioned it's uncomfortable. Well, you're going to have to be comfortable with giving things to other people to do and letting people do other things. I think that that is kind of the next frontier, right, of making sure that, you know, You can hand something off to somebody and let it go. You know, you hand the kid to the daycare teacher, the preschool teacher, the kindergarten teacher, and trust that they're going to do their job because you can't do it all day, right? You have to let other people kind of do their jobs and do what they can do best. And then that allows Ryan Day, I don't know if you know this, Ohio State's going to have a new athletic director it allows Ryan Day to to talk about NIL it allows him to focus on NIL and focus on recruiting and focus on things that you know are big school like or big term like that and like Nathan brought this up with the Ohio State Michigan game Ryan Day doesn't have to worry about the play calling and the uh, you know, the, the fourth down play where you, you know, you run the clock down and then you kick the field goal. You can have situations like that on a, on a small micro level, just kind of ready to go. You can focus on different things on game days. And then kind of on the macro level, you can focus on NIL, you can lean on boosters, you can talk to recruits, you can do all of these different things that if you have to put together a game plan every week to beat Penn State and then Nebraska and then Oregon and then Iowa, you you don't have as much time for. So I think that that's the next evolution, being comfortable like you were saying Stephen of being uncomfortable and giving things up that just makes sense.
0: So what does a decision like this look like for Ryan Day in 2024? And cuz if you're giving this up, Nathan, that means you have significant amount of time to literally go do anything else because you're not when they're in those meetings leading that meeting anymore offensive coordinator x is leading those meetings you're not so dialed in with the offense on game day because you're calling plays anymore so you're probably kind of going around to different channels and talking to different guys throughout the game where what's the tangible thing where we're gonna notice oh this is better because ryan day gave up play calling and gave up just being basically the overseer of the offense most of the time. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess the first thing is we'll see if it actually comes to
1: fruition. He talked about this last year. I mean, we were having go back and listen to pods from this time last year. We were talking about it, and he was definitely putting it out there, and um, the assumption was out there that because they're promoting Ryan, Brian Hartline to offensive coordinator, they're just passing that right along to him, and it that didn't happen. I don't think that's a surprise. and. Now it's a matter of, yes, he's saying this, yes, they're going to hire this person, it sounds like, and it's going to be someone of of uh, that has a significant background, maybe even a head coaching background, but does he, uh, so then what does he do with it? I think that's the the main question here. It's sort of like the same thing about, okay, now you have an open position. You've gotten rid of a a, a person who wasn't getting you the most out of that position on the staff. Now, what do you do with it? And it would be kind of the same thing. Now you've given yourself this flexibility. What do you do with it? I think Ryan Day will and should still be involved in the offensive game planning each week. I do think there is a benefit to turning over the ultimate play calling to someone else. And if, if Ryan Day is on the headset too, if it's a critical position, if it's fourth and one and the Michigan game is tied with four minutes left and you're at the Michigan 39 yard line, actually fourth and one's not a good example. You definitely go for that fourth and three. I don't know, like tough, tough call. Ryan Day is going to have a say in what the ultimate call is there. He's going to have a say in those make or break decisions. But by taking a lot of that off of his plate, I think you get to have oversight of the game in a different way. I also do think that you get to a situation where when there's communication problems on a week-to-week-to-week basis in your special teams room, how much time did Ryan Day have to go help fix that? Not that he should have to go help fix that, but when there is a problem, how much, how much oversight time does he really have to go help with that? And as, was that a contributing factor into why special teams was a problem here these last couple of years? Even though you had a coordinator overseeing it, uh, as the head coach, it kind of falls back to you to fix some of those things. We shouldn't have been still talking about communication problems into the second half of this season after you saw it be a problem at the end of last season. So, again, it it keeps coming back to... like. What is he going to do with it? How much is he really going to embrace the idea of being the CEO because I think that is the true the true sign of how far he's come. Um, we thought it was a a step forward for him when he did what he did with Jim Knowles and some of those other hires that were like he yes, Tim Walton played here, but Ryan Day and Tim Walton didn't really have a relationship. That was really more about the fact that he had played at Ohio State being a a bonus to the other reasons they were hiring him. They were hiring him largely because of a football background from someone who happened to be an Ohio state coach. And, you know, we thought it was a good sign that he went and hired Jim Knowles, someone else he had no background with, but that they had proven himself as a defensive coordinator at a, at a certain level and was kind of the natural guy that the, the the best program in the country that needed a defensive coordinator was going to go hire him and they made it happen. And those were both steps forward for him because it was him stepping out of his comfort zone. And yes, it was at a time where he kind of had to do that. But I still, I still give him credit for that. And I think now it's a matter of is he ready to step out of the comfort zone for himself? Like it's, it's easy. It's a little bit easier to say you're stepping out of the comfort zone and bringing other people in. I, I'm very curious what how comfortable he is because he got right to the edge of it this past year. And then both, I think, because he didn't know if he had the person to pass it off to, but also um, partially because I don't think he wanted to get out of it. I think he was a little bit, his comfort zone is calling plays. His comfort zone is leading the quarterbacks. And I think he felt because of the circumstances of not maybe having a proven play caller to pass it off to, and because they were going to have to break in a first year quarterback, a new quarterback who had never started before. So I think maybe then the Will Howard presence also makes this a little easier, possibly. It is someone who has to come in and learn a new system. And this new offensive coordinator, I think will probably by and large be coordinating Ryan day's offense. It won't be a complete departure from what Ohio state's been doing, mostly because this is the personnel that they recruited for. But I I, I think at the end of the day, it's it's we'll know how far Ryan day has come by how far back he's willing to step as it relates to this offense and it's not because he isn't a good offensive coach anymore it's simply because that isn't his the, that isn't the most crucial thing he can do for this program anymore
0: i i do wonder though yeah you're gonna be coordinating ryan day's offense but what parts of this offense haven't we seen because ryan day has gotten comfortable with this section of it where it's whether it's the You know, two tight end stuff, three tight end stuff. You know, uh, eleven, eleven personnel. Not really. We, I mean, we saw a little bit more four wide receiver stuff this year, but it's not necessarily been a a consistent part of the offense over the past five years. We saw a little bit of the two running back stuff this year, but not really a consistent part of the offense. And I do wonder if that's where it sees it shows up. It's not that this guy's going to come. It's like, hey, here's a brand new three hundred play plays playbook. We're going to run this now because I'm the offensive coordinator. But because your head coach is still an offensive coach and has a vision and a plan there. But I do wonder if we start seeing different sections of this offense that they've practiced time and time again, but never felt comfortable running on game day. And to your point, I think the Will Howard part of this helps. Last thing I want to touch on here as Ryan Day potentially revamps this coaching staff for the first time since he took over as head coach. And. Among those changes could be bringing in an offensive coordinator, which means he could actually be giving a play calling for the first time since he get, became Ohio State's head coach in 2019. That'll wrap up this pod. Friday pod's going to be a rapid fire just to get us through the week. And then Monday, we're going to see where we were wrong. We spend a lot of time during the season talking about how the coaching staff does did things wrong but it's time to look at how we did some things wrong we're gonna look back on all those market down mondays and see what we got right and what we got wrong get the text 614-350-3315 two-week free trial 399 after that with all news analysis surveys rapid fire anything you want sign up for the text 614-350-3315 for nathan baird and for andrew gillis i'm stephen means and that was buckeye talk